want to tell you about one of our partners, Quetzal Education Consulting. Quetzal Education Consulting is a queer, black, and indigenous women-owned firm offering anti-racist consulting, PD, coaching, keynotes, workshops, and more. Their newly released Abolitionist Teaching Workshop series coaches and prepares teachers to further develop abolitionist practices in the classroom. Find out why they have been called The Future of Educational Justice by Dr. Bettina Love. You can book a free consultation with Quetzal by calling 510-397-8011 or visiting quetzalec.com. That is Q-U-E-T-Z-A-L-E-C.com. And if you mention you heard about them through Two Dope Teachers, you will receive a 5% discount on their Abolitionist Teaching PD series. Once again, you can book them by visiting quetzalec.com on their Connect With Us page. Conversation on race, power, and education. My name is Gerardo Munoz. Uh, Kevin is teaching sixth graders currently, and he forgot that that was his teaching schedule today. So Kevin is not joining us. I know we all think I'm breaking up with Kevin, but I'm not. I love Kevin, and I can't be without Kevin. So uh, you you have heard him on previous episodes. He will be back. Uh, he's out in these uh, education streets, and I'm up here in the ivory tower. Uh, if you are listening to us for the first time, and there's a really good chance you're doing it because maybe those of you who are following the work of my guests today uh, were pulled over to the podcast to see how it goes. You can find us on all the social media at Two Dope Teachers, on Instagram, the hellscape known as Twitter, and uh, Facebook, of course, if you have feedback or questions or gift cards, frankly, you can send those to twodopeteachers at gmail.com. And if you're so committed to the work that we're doing, but um, but even more committed to the idea of black and brown people producing independent media, feel free to support us at patreon.com slash twodopeteachers, where for as little as $5 a month, you can help us keep the lights on so folks man i can't even tell you how excited i am to get into this conversation because in my graduate program and i've been thinking a lot about intersectionality and positionality and the the critical work of critically interrogating ourselves and i can't believe i'm about to say this but the guest i have today is the amazing co-author of the book White Women, Everything You Know About Your Own Racism and How to Do Better. Um, welcome to Two Dope Teachers and a Mike Syrah Rao. Thank you. What a great intro. <laughs> it's, well, it's a great guest, so it makes it pretty easy. And I, and I should say that, uh, that Syrah, you you co-authored the book with Regina Jackson, and, um, and this is an amazing book. So welcome to the show. Um, it's been so cool to just so I was following you on Twitter back in the day and watching you in those Twitter streets and saying, "Wow, that's man, she is 
strong and resolute and like is not afraid of anybody. Uh, um, and so to have you on the show is like such a cool thing. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So I, w- I want to start off really quickly. We're going to get into the to the work that you've been doing and how important and incendiary it is and all that kind of stuff. But I, I would love it if you would share a little bit about your upbringing, and your background and You know, specifically because I've been able to follow your ideas just through the lens of social media, what, how is it, like, what have your experiences with, like, racism, oppression, or injustice that sort of set you on this path to say, okay, it's, it's time to fight and it's time to name things? Sure. Um, I'm the daughter of Indian immigrants. Uh, My parents came over from India post-1965 Immigration Act, which was made possible by the 1964 Civil Rights Act. So essentially, uh, you know, our families were able to come here on the backs of Black folks. And once here, what have we done as South Asians, which is, you know, aspire to whiteness um, Mm. at our own peril, you know, like self-loathing and on stomping on Black folks. That's, That's America. That's America, right? Um, born and raised in Richmond, Virginia, um, born about 110 years after slavery, quote, ended in the capital. Ended, of the Confederacy. Yes, in quotes. <laughs> capital of the Confederacy. I've returned to Richmond uh, wow. to live here after 30 years. I left Denver. I lived in Denver for nine years. Before that, I was largely in New York City. Um, I have lots to say about Denver if you want to go into that. But uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> back for about five months, and it's been really interesting, you know, like uh, – when my when I grew up, there were only 25 South Asian families in all of Richmond. Nobody knew what we were. Um, you know, we were always, are we dot or feather? That was a common question. Hmm. Um, very racist um, sounds that kids would make putting their hands over their mouths to emulate what they were saying was, you know, Native American. Yeah. Black kids didn't know who we were. White kids didn't know who we were or what we were. Uh, we didn't know what we were. Well, um, I imagine like my people just thought you were our people. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but but you know what? By design, we weren't supposed to be in the same room. So I grew up sure. in, a, in a white flight neighborhood and there was another Asian family. There was one black family and it was all white folks who, yeah. you know, literally it, 10 foot, po- like, let's, let's keep the distance from the Asians, the two Asian yeah. families. So, yeah. Anyway, um, I, you know, I don't remember a time that I didn't as a kid literally pray and i we are not religious people prayed to be white knowing that i was in deep gratitude for not being black so it's wow. very clear from a very young age uh what the ecosystem is of pa- racial power ergo power in this country yeah. and for people to pretend otherwise is gaslighting so that's very purposefully our title of our book is white women everything you already know about your own racism, everything you already know. How do we know that you know? Because white people created the system of white supremacy mm-hmm. to benefit themselves. So pretending like I'm here to listen and learn, I'm here to listen and learn. That's a lie, right? Maybe that's a lie that you've told yourself. It's certainly a lie that you're telling us because you wrote the Other script. People. You yeah. wrote the script. So it's like that Shakespeare part. That part. coming up to you and being like, I don't understand Romeo and Juliet. Please explain Romeo. <laughs> I love and that Juliet. analogy. That's amazing. You no, know? yes. Um, fuck you, actually. Yeah. Like it's, for real. It's ridiculous. It's it's um, it's a lie. So anyway, um, you know, I was the 
model minority. I went to the University of Virginia. I joined a pr- all white, but for two other Asians, I think one black young woman. Um, I wore Laura Ashley dresses. I wore pearls. I made out with white boys who wore Confederate flags and told me that I was exotic. You know, yeah. all of it. I did all of it. Uh, humiliated myself. I would laugh at jokes that people would make about my parents' accents and the way they smelt because they smelt of Indian food. I did all of it. And so, you know, knowing this, back to everything you already know, I knew this, but I it, lie, lie, yeah. lie, survive, yeah. survive, survive. Um, I, I, you know, think about how much harm I have caused Black people along the way, you know, in, in my quest for whiteness. whiteness. So this work is not just about coming to terms with um, being on the receiving end of oppression. Uh, it's coming to terms of with being on the giving end of oppression as well. And yeah. so um, New York City, I lived, I went to college. I went to law school at NYU in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. I worked on Wall Street. I clerked for a very fancy court of appeals, federal court of appeals judge. My office was next door to Sam Alito's office before he became oh, a wow. justice. I've had lunch with him. This is oh, and he's wow. like a very nice white man. And now sure. he is he is like the architect of Nazism in this country. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so uh in New York City, I lived in the old Board of Ed building in Brooklyn. And again, we would laugh about it. It's, it's, it's all the, it's whispers and hushes and jokes. And on this side of our building in, in uh, Brooklyn was Brooklyn Heights, right? All white. On this side of our building was downtown Brooklyn, all black and right. a smattering of Latinos. Yep. In the middle were white Jews and Asians. So it's like, you know, we know exactly, it, it was, it, we know. It wasn't until I moved for the first time in my life, because I'd always lived on the East Coast, to uh, the first place I'd ever lived, which was Denver, Colorado, that was a predominantly white city, that I um, that I woke up, and it was it was it had to happen in a predominant. I mean, I don't know if it would have happened in Seattle or one of these other places, but Denver. It, had I stayed in New York, I think I still would be living my best um, hypochondriacal you know, anxiety ridden white self. It's amazing. When you wake up, I've gotten rid of all of my, uh, all of my anxieties. The more people who threaten to kill me, the less anxious I feel. If you can. Wow. Wow. Um, That's deep. That's deep. And so uh, it was pretty soon. My mom died very suddenly. Um, She was visiting. She and my dad were visiting us up in the New York city area to watch our kids. What, when my husband and I were going on vacation with my former best friend's on the planet who are friends from college who all happen to live in Denver. So uh, she got sick. She died during that time. And uh, the following year, I, just in a state of profound grief, I did what you're not supposed to do, which is I made a major life move. I just had to get out of the right. New York City area. And I wanted to be as close to family as possible. The kid of immigrants, these white friends from college who had been my closest friends for 25 years were as close to family as possible. Yeah. Um, so I moved to Denver and it was pretty quick thereafter that, um, uh, you know, and the, the most, probably the most solidly blue place I'd ever lived. And that, you know, notwithstanding Manhattan, the Denver, Denver was Denver. Yeah. Um, and uh, it felt, you know, Denver's and Colorado in general is a very interesting place. It's stunningly mm-hmm. beautiful. Um, it's the weather is fantastic and the culture mm-hmm. is rot. You know, mm-hmm. it is, it is like a horror movie. You're like, 
you're always you're always in the sunny place with the mountains in the background and some white person's about to kill you yeah. um with the hashtag, except they're all very polite about it at oh, first the, and yeah end asian hate or blm yeah. or you know yeah. yeah abolish ice when that was a thing for them that's gone now yep. um yep. so uh it was a dinner two days after donald trump was elected that these closest friends in my life um all white women not a single one of them lifted a finger to get hillary elected their own because nobody is worse to each other than white women and so wow. I, you know, spent every day, I I enlisted the help of my children to go knock doors, hold fundraisers, because I knew, I'm sure you knew, yeah. any person yeah. of color who had a, had their head out of their asses knew. Yeah. And these white women were always super, they were crazy busy, which I talk about in the book too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Nobody <laughs> yeah. is crazier busy than a white woman. A white woman <laughs> yes, that's so true. Ever met in your life. Uh, yeah. Oh my God, I'm so crazy busy. I'm so crazy um, busy. I'm so crazy busy. <laughs> um, so they were too crazy busy to um, do anything for Hillary. And Hillary is no goddess to me, you know, but oh at my all, goodness. At all. Um, and so when Donald Trump won, I went into a deep, dark two day, like I, I couldn't move. I, I wasn't functioning. And these, we had planned a dinner for one of these women's birthdays that we we're going to celebrate her birthday and the first woman president. And I was like, I can't go. And they're, oh, come on, come on, come on, come on, whatever. So I go and we sit down and I knew within 30 seconds, it's a mistake because they start immediately making grab them by the pussy jokes. Because this is a joke. No, man. Joke oh my them, God. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because for them, come on, it's no different if it's Bill Clinton or GW Bush, they don't yeah. care if what happens to anybody else yeah that's right. and until they until they do until it's actually white supremacy kills us all including white people they have more time but yeah. you know now i think everyone's seeing what's what or not even frankly um yeah. but right 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 uh, i'm sitting here having an internal spiral over my plate of spaghetti and why did i come why did i come i shouldn't have come and i go to the bathroom and a woman has texted me uh Syra, I'm so sorry about what they're saying about your mother on Facebook. And I'm like, my mother, my mother has been dead for six years. Like, what are you, five years, whatever. And what had happened is my mom died from a disease called pulmonary fibrosis. I was on a Facebook grief group with other people who had lost family members. And I guess one of the women in the grief group was a Trump supporter. And I posted that morning on my Facebook. I haven't been this depressed since my mom died. She took that, reposted it on her page thousands of comments, xenophobic, racist comments about me and my dead mother. And I start crying and these women at the table, this is why relationships won't, won't save us. You know, yeah. white people love to tell you about their black and brown husbands and wives. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. But you, but you cannot fuck your way out of racism. You just can't. No, this is facts. This is facts. And so, uh, I came back, my mother, they loved, I'm thinking, great. This is a great group of women to talk about with this. Uh, and had I come out to bitch about my husband because white women also love bitching about not just how crazy busy they are, but how horrible their husbands are and, and how annoying their kids are, right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That's like the trifecta, crazy busy, dick husbands, <laughs> annoying kids. Annoying uh, and so um, I tell them and there's silence. And I still now think about it. It's like slow-mo scene out of a movie. One says, um, Tonight's not about you. It's her birthday. The other one said this to you, said this to you. Can't you just lighten up for once? And then the birthday person says to this person, um, 
your skin looks great. What are you using? And I literally felt the room spinning. It's like when you realize that your family, your, you know, your husband or your mother or your sister is the serial killer, you know? Wow. And yeah. I call an Uber. I get up, I pay, I get up and leave. And two of these women jump into the Uber with me on either side because we all live near each other. And I think, oh, they've come in to apologize. Well, now we all know what I now know white women. Yeah. I know all the nonsense. No, they're talking yeah. over me about what time their pure bar class is the next day. So that was wow. Regina Jackson. My partner would call this a, I don't know if you've seen Deconstructing Karen. That's the documentary about our work. Not yet. I just Check got it. it. Very it excited. Out calls it a significant life event. The thing that requires people to wake up is a significant life event. That was my significant life event. I spend the next year posting on Facebook. That's all I'm doing is posting on Facebook. And finally I write, I come to find out that Diana to get our fearless, you know, warrior of a um, useless right. white woman, our, our girl boss, our girl boss, right? Our girl boss. Um, I think even white girl bosses wouldn't want to claim Diana to get, but like, it's, um, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Find that's out that she that's is saying something around friend of mine that civil rights are not one of her issues. So I write an article called I'm a Brown woman breaking up with the democratic party. Cannot find anyone to publish it. Even though I've worked in media for 10 years, nobody wants to touch it with the 10 foot pole, find a black wow. woman editor at Huffington post. She picks it up. Story goes viral. This is December of 2017. And, you know, all of the feedback on the, the comments, the comments is first, welcome. We've been done with the Democratic Party for a long time versus fuck you. You're a traitor, you know, mm. and then a ton of people being like, why don't you run for office? And I'm thinking to myself, yeah. running for office, like, can't we just expect more from our representatives? That's, such That's a right. thing to say. I really hate when people say that to, to marginalize people. If you're not a straight white person, don't say that to somebody because yeah. you can safely say that. Yeah. So, well, and I think that, you know, to that point, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot in some of the spaces I'm interacting with where it's, where it's like, there's an expectation. It's, it's almost like this, this compliant, this complicity where they're like, well, we're, we're not going to be dedicated to this, but you will be. And then yes. we will continue to ask you to do labor that we don't want to bother with. So I, I feel, I feel that I feel that in so many ways. <laughs> So you're like an act. If you call someone an activist, that means that I'm not like we're all all being an activist is using your your voice. That's Shouldn't right. So what that? are you an activist for? Right. Yes. What is it that you're. Yeah. And, and yes. the similar thing with when I've done cultural responsiveness uh, consulting work with with teachers, I'm like, all of you are culturally responsive. The question is, what culture are you being responsive to? Yeah, and that's, awesome. that's the thing that you really have to think about is like yeah. somebody feel safe in your classroom and somebody does not yeah. and like 100 yeah. so i think that's kind of a, a little bit of yeah, a parallel yeah, yeah. what you're saying so you get these you you get the, all this encouragement you'll run for office you know get up in this space yeah it's but i i think to myself i say, said to my husband over christmas and this is after i've dragged him across the country to denver you know <laughs> oh man I'm gonna run <laughs> and he starts laughing and he was like oh no <laughs> I, I recognize that look now from, you know, and I was like, I'm going to do it because I have class privilege. I can afford yeah. childcare. I have able-bodied privilege. Yep. 
I can yeah. campaign. If not, if I don't do this, so I did. I mean, super educated, super knowledgeable. Like there's no all reason that you, all yeah. And so in my mind, I'm like, of course I'm not going to win. What are the chances of a complete random brown person in Denver? I had five months. I was one of the last people to, um, to file with the FEC in February of 2018, I was given a 2% chance of getting more than 12% of the vote. I got 34% of the vote. Why? Because I was saying something. I was yep. saying something. And what I was entire platform was anti-racism. Regina Jackson worked on my campaign. That's how we met. And it came, our, our race to dinners came out of the, the congressional race because all these well-intentioned white ladies of Denver, Colorado would line up around the corner None of them would vote for me, but to tell me how not racist they are. And then right, they would insist that I meet them for drinks or for coffee or for dinner, which I would have to do because I'm courting votes. And they would ins- tell me not how, how not racist I am. They'd get upset. Some of the time they'd cry. Um, right. Oh, yeah, the tears. I decided yeah. to start this after I lost and this continued and this continued. And I think the thing that's so interesting to me is how even in this year of 2023, we are, my God, in 2023. It's 2023. Things have gotten, we're aging in fascist dog years, you know, like Hmm. 2018 seems so quaint, you know. It really does. It really does. And these women are still obsessed with being seen as good, obsessed with being liked, obsessed with being exceptional. And they're the same people who wonder how the Holocaust happened. It's because yeah. of people like them. Yeah. That's that is how genocide happens. It's the, right. the nice, good, silent people with power That's who right. are just like mm, it's kind of gross. It's the ones making the memes about Kevin McCarthy instead of like this is an ongoing coup that's happening. It's SNL yeah. and skits. This is not funny. Why is this funny? It's at all. Katie Porter, girl bossing out with her book on the, you know, on Capitol Hill. Fuck you, Katie Porter. Like, and I like her policies. Like, it just, you know, anyway, that's my rant. Well, no, but no, I get it. I get like, I'm I'm absorbing it because I think there is this sort of, there's this place where this is an academic exercise for white folks, right? This is just, this is, this is what democracy is. It's, it's us struggling over different ideas that are guiding the people. And, you know, I think that that's, and I remember in, in, uh, in my own naive days back in the day, um, I was laughing about elections and I was like, man, it's just like the playoffs. It's, it's hilarious. It's funny. in the, you know, the polling numbers and these things. And I remember somebody calling me out and saying, bro, this is people's lives. Yeah. And I think that's when, um, that was a that was a moment of maturation for me. W- one of the things that I think draws me so powerfully to your work is the way that not just the real talk, because we have a lot of people out here who will say the things that are powerful and profound and incisive and that are convicting of other people. But I think the thing that most resonates for me is you naming the things that you have done in your past that that uphold this. And I think about that myself as a cis hetero, you know, dude who has, I mean, I, I, it took me a really long time to start accepting my proximity to whiteness. Like I have a white mother and like, while we were working class people um, and while it wasn't easy, I always knew that I could charm my way into class. 
jobs and I could charm my way into jobs and I can charm my way into like, I've always joked that, man, you spend, you spend five minutes with me and I think you're going to like me. Yeah. And it's not because of anything I do. I think it's a little bit, but it's mostly because the critiques that I receive don't come as quickly as they come to others. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that piece that you name and I, and I think the internet is stupid and so there are certain things that will get highlighted, but I think the other piece is that work that you have done to just really courageously face it and say, we're all a part of this. However, there are some folks who hold the keys to this castle. Um, one question that I have, and you've addressed a lot of like what I plan to talk about. One of the, one of the questions I have. So we've seen the viral videos, right? We've seen, you know, we know that people of color have documented these really outrageous interactions, particularly with white women. So what I would ask you is for those of us who interact with this type of whiteness every day, um, and some of us who frankly don't see it, I feel like I miss it constantly. What are some of the more subtle and discreet ways that white women's racism may play out. Um, and, and even in like educational spaces or other spaces like that. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think it's in all spaces, right? And 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 certain professions make it more dangerous a hundred percent in educational circles. That would be a top one. A hundred percent in medical circles. Yeah. That's another one. You know, this is life or death. These are our kids' be, brains and non nonprofit work, like that kind of thing. Yeah, totally. Um, it's all very much whispers and hushes. So, you know, the viral Karen videos, I have a lot of issues with that, frankly, the way that it's been played out. Number one, uh, they're shared most frequently by white men. So that is straight oh. up misogyny. That is misogyny. Mm. I have zero interest Interesting. hearing from white men about white women. And they reach out to us all the time. Ha ha. We hate them too. And we're like, fuck you. Like, we're not, <laughs> we're not, we're not interested. I don't know what you thought you were going to get out yeah, of this. You thought but... you were doing something there, but no. Um, I love that then, so much. And then they, the second group of people that shares them the most, who? Other white women. Why? Not me. Look at her. White women that is... hate themselves. And they hate each other more than yeah. anything. They hate themselves and they hate each other. And so they relish bringing each other down. That's what people yeah. call fighting. You know, yeah. it is, it is this, this need um, that's this quest for perfection. That's the foundational principle of white womanhood is being the most perfect. And you can't, the, the, you know, a necessary, but insufficient piece of that is having white skin, but there is no mm -hmm. perfect. So they're yeah. on this hamster wheel trying to achieve something that doesn't exist. So they love when other white women fail. They yeah. love it. And that's kind of to your point that white supremacy will kill us all, including white totally, people. Totally, totally. So um, that's not how, I mean, what we always say at race to dinner when we have these dinners is stop, stop looking at how you're not that. Okay, great. You get an award for not calling the police on a black person at Starbucks. Yay for, for you. That's for the real. pat yourself on the back that you wouldn't do that. Right. My God, the bar is so low. It's underground. That's such a low bar. Yeah. You know? Um, so instead of doing that, why don't we take a minute and look at the videos and see how you are like that woman? Maybe you're not Amy Cooper, you know, strangling your dog while you're trying to literally get 
a black man assassinated, yeah. right? But are you in the park with your dog or not your dog? And a black man walks by and you get scared and you clutch yeah. your purse. Um, are you driving down the street and you see a black or a brown man with baggy pants and you lock your door? or you change lanes. That's what we're talking about. And there's one that's video right. in particular that's really sort of, it sticks out in my mind. It's not, we have a bunch of these videos in the movie. It's not in this, in, in Deconstructing Karen. It's not one of mm -hmm. those. There's a video from Victoria's Secrets, I think in New Jersey last year, where a white woman, a black woman starts filming a white woman who's berating her in Victoria's Secret for no reason, just for her right. being there. Yep. So- she then starts crying. I mean, she has the whole play. She has the whole white woman. The white, the white woman starts crying. Yes. Yeah. In, like she's performing every act of the of the white woman Broadway musical on this video. So she starts, <laughs> she starts, she's berating the black woman. The black woman starts filming. So she starts crying, right? So she's crying and calls the police on the black woman who's literally just filming her, right? Fine. That's that's the the fuckery of these white women, right? Right. The most interesting piece about this video that nobody talks about is it's taking place in front of the cash register. And there's a line of white women holding their bras and their underwear, waiting to pay. And not one of them steps in. Not one of them steps wow. in. And that is every white woman at schools, school yeah. boards hospitals it is you hear something you don't say something yeah. and uh, or you hear something and you too punish that black or brown person the black That's or right. brown person speaks up i can tell you if the cops came i don't i don't know what happened afterwards my guess yeah. is if the cops came and they start interrogating everyone in the scene i bet you nine out of ten of those white women would be like it's the black woman's fault that's, That's right. what happens at work. Or, or I, I, I didn't see it. I just all of a sudden I, I heard. Be, I just want to. I just want to get my bra and get out of here. Yeah, you know? I don't know what happened. Yeah, exactly. I, and that's a really that's so important because I think that inactivity is is so insidious and that's that's the piece that doesn't always get called out. And the, the other thing I, it makes me think about too, um, in line with with what you're describing is, and how many of you almost actually did exactly what was in this like you think about that these folks made a decision that it made sense to them to do it and then they maybe checked themselves and then they did it right and so there's that whole process of like yes but be honest how close have you been to being exactly this person the day before amy cooper uh, the most famous karen of all the central park yeah. karen that's right. If you had asked her that morning on her way to Central Park if she would ever call the police on a black man bird watching, it wouldn't even. And then she did it like 10 minutes later. So yeah. any what you said further to what you said, yes, 100 percent. Any yeah. white woman, frankly, any white person can can be Amy Cooper. So let's yeah. stop. That's the point is let's stop exceptionalizing and start seeing any Asian woman can be Amy Cooper because we weaponize our non-black privilege all the yeah. time. So do and I think about yes. like, yeah, I think about my own community. I think about, I don't know if it's been a dramatic shift, but it's been a notable shift of Latino males over into kind of that pro-Trump proud boy, white supremacist ideologies. And like, 
and that's and so so the the point is also that um it's a white supremacist place so all of us in some way are upholding it or have upheld it and there isn't any neutrality when it comes to living under white supremacy I mean, like Asian men too are some of the fastest fastest growing numbers into the Proud Boy movement. And you know, I'm sure you witnessed wow. what happened at the LA City Council with the yeah. three um, Latinx members uh, using horrible, some of the most horrible anti-black uh, yep. I've ever yep. heard. And it's really interesting because my friend, who's a white woman, who's a reporter at a very prestigious paper, calls me and she was like, "It's just so." complicated and i'm like it's not complicated this is called divide and conquer and mm -hmm. and and i this is part of the reason i moved back to richmond is there are yeah. almost no south asians in denver and i'm yeah. trying to connect with my own people because in places like houston in places like um seattle the south asian and the asian population in general is growing so fast those places could see city councils like LA in the next 10 years. And instead of it being members of the Latinx community, it could be members of the Asian community doing yeah. that very same thing. We have to, you and I here have to get our communities right. That's we right. have to get, we have, we have a privilege as non-Black folks and we have a do along with privilege comes a duty. We have a That's duty. Right. We have a duty to unfuck ourselves, just like yeah. we have a duty to call it out with white folks. Cause again, they hold the keys to the castle, but they're dangling the keys and our people are jumping yeah. on, on black people's heads to get yeah. to the keys. Yeah. Well, and I think another thing that, and you've said this in a number of places and spaces, another thing is, you know, I want to come back to this idea of like, we've all had this experiences of people of color of, you know, something, something gets people all fired up and upset and it gets contentious in a meeting. Nobody supports you in the meeting, but then after the meeting, somebody takes you inside and says, Syrah, I totally agree with you. You're totally right about that. You know, you talked about these hush hush sort of things and it's kind of like, okay, number one, say it with your chest and number two, say it to each other. Don't say it to me. Like, white people need to be talking to each other. And I think that's the piece that uh, that I've also seen you discuss and how important that is. That's the key to all of it. So our whole pedagogy, it's so simple. It's literally <laughs> so simple. It's just be honest. It's yeah. just be honest. Yeah. And you have to talk about it. So it has to be, I, I mean, I, this is what I've learned in my own journey and it's going to be a lifelong journey is it's an individual and collective journey. So you have to have your own, you know, your own healing, your own dismantling, but then you have to be in conversation and find community because yeah. otherwise it's too lonely. It's too hard. I mean, yeah. it is, it is, this has been without a doubt, the mo most meaningful call it five, six years of my life, six years of my life. And the hardest, yeah. hardest, hardest. I mean, to yeah. say loss. I mean, Regina and I talk about this all the time. You're going to lose family. You're going to lose friends. You're going to lose right. jobs. Right. Yeah. And that's how all of it's weaponized. That's how white supremacy continues is that right. people will leave you. It, you will maybe not be able to put food on the table. Like you might yeah. not be able to afford insulin, you know? And so the thing that 
people don't get is that there's another side. So we talk about like what's loss, loss, loss. That's scarcity model. What about what do we gain? You know what I have gained? I have gained real relationships. I have gained community. I have gained liberation, or at least I can see it, you know? Um, And we have to stop thinking in these scarcity models because, okay, you lose your job. You lose your job. If you're a white person, you're going to be fine. You'll find another job. If you're you're a a brown person, you'll be okay. It's going to take longer. If you're a black person, I don't know if you're going to be okay. Like it's, there's, that's the whole thing is like, I don't blame any black woman on the planet or any black, black man who doesn't want to get into this because it's not their place. It's not, you know, it's not, it's not their job. It is not, it is, it is incumbent on the rest of us to get right. But this is not, I mean, to say that we're deeply, it's, it's changed a little bit in the past two months because our book, no one is more, I mean, it's a New York times bestseller. It's sort of all over the place. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, the documentary was one of the most watched documentaries in the country of Canada. You know, it's like, it's, it's taking off, but it's taking off for a reason because it's, you can read this, you can watch this, but then we have a toolkit. How can you talk about this with others? And how do you talk about this? Stop being so afraid. And, and like, we are in, we are marching fully ahead towards fascism and we are still sitting here twiddling our thumbs and talking about feelings. It is past that stage. It yeah, is past that right. stage. Yeah, it it is. is time to get right. And if that means that you don't get invited to a party, if that means that your kids don't get invited to birthday parties. If that means that all the people you have in your life no longer want to talk to you, go find some new people That's and stop being complicit in this shit. Seriously, just stop. That's right. But I I just want to let that all soak because I think that the the urgency is so clear. And I think um, it's, it's one of those things that it, it's not easy, but it's simple. Right. Um, and and this is this is a problem to which there is a solution, right? Yes. And yes. Um, by the way, what you just said is critical. There is a problem, and there is a solution. And what all of these establishment politicians and leaders oh, it's so complicated. No, it's not. It's not. Your no. feelings are complicated. But that, it's, that's right. It's, <laughs> that's right. It's not complicated. You re you move money in, in a capitalistic society. You actually move resources to where they need to go yeah. and you decolonize yourself. That's it. That's you right. start acknowledging what's going on. And if you start doing that, the money will move naturally. Yeah. My, my friend Chosky um, and I had a conversation a couple of years ago where I asked them, what is what is decolonizing mean? And they said it means a return to yourself. And sometimes when you return to yourself, you don't like what you find, you know? And it sounds like at the start of this conversation, you really did talk about how this work required you to return to yourself and return to past versions of yourself and contend with those things. But it isn't it isn't navel gazing, right? It isn't just I'm going to journal and that's going to make a better world. It's, it's reflecting on harm that was done. And I think about that as, as a person with male privilege, like it's not, have I ever 
done harm from a positionality of male privilege. It's what harm have I done? Uh, how can I not do it again? How can I, how can stop? I not do it again? And, and what are the implications for, for the, the rest of the spaces that I'm going to be in? How do I just be really deadly honest with myself about these things? Um, Syra Rao, this, this has been, um, such a powerful conversation, even, even more motive. Like I could run through a wall right now. Um, and I think, and I think it's just so critical that people, that's okay. (laughs) It's so critical that people get into the spaces fearlessly and, and really to me also think about think about what it is that you think you're going to lose, right? Because I think a lot of times we we feel like, oh no, I have to protect this thing. So I'm just not gonna, I'll go this far, but not this far because I have this thing to protect, right? And this thing that gives me safety. But to your point, if safety is contingent upon stepping on uh, black and brown, um, black people particularly, then that's not safety. You're not safe. <laughs> even if you know i'll never forget after i ran and lost for congress and i was toying with running again and pretty quickly realized there was no way um i had a white friend say to me because my kids i mean my kids have been through a lot you know a lot lot uh and she said you have to think about your kids like and i was like why do you think i'm running for why why do you think i'm doing this she, yeah. you know this friend has blonde hair blue-eyed white kids and I said, my kids are not going to be safe whether or not I run for Congress. That's like right. it, it's that's the whole thing that people don't whether get. or not I say the things that I say, whether yeah, or not yeah. I'm nice online or or mean online, it doesn't it, it does doesn't not change anything matter. for them. But yes. So in in the micro, yes, the amounts of white families and frankly non-white families too, who have forbidden their kids from you know, spending time with my kids. Yes. In the, in the, in the moment that feels pretty rotten, but you know, my kids are going to become dark skin, brown, you know, adults. And the work that I'm doing is trying to make it better for them, trying to make it better for, you know, all of our kids and white people who have no racial analysis and hope have no sense of history and no, don't know how this stuff works. They're so selfish that they think that if they do this or don't do this, it's going to protect their kids. Whose kids are getting, what predominantly demographic of child is getting shot up in schools, white kids in affluent public school, public schools. That's That's it. By their peers. Yep. And, And the fact that white people, that rich white people don't even care when Sandy Hook happened, these are not just affluent white kids. These are babies, blonde hair, blue eyed babies, you know, kindergartners and first graders. Yeah. When not only did nothing change for the better, things got worse. Gun sales got have gone worse. through the roof. Got worse. Whiteness is soul sucking. It is. It is a case of the soul and body snatchers. That's what whiteness is. That's what it There's is. a disconnection. Oh, There's so a true. disconnect with humanity, your own. There's a disconnect with land, with water. That's why we could care less what we're doing to the earth. That's right. And it is a compulsion for status and money, and fake power, and stuff, just buying, and buying, and buying, it is disgusting, it's, it's like, I don't really care if my kids get shot at school, as long as they're wearing Lululemon, like, that's that's kind of, like, what it feels like, that's right, right. or as long as I can keep all my friendships with people, I know, 
my quote Friend, friendships. friendships. As long as I get invited to the fifteenth uh, party this month, that's God right. forbid I only get invited to twelve. Yeah, um, that's right. You know, I'll be all right. Yeah. Well, I know we're running um, up against time, and I uh, want to respect your time because uh, you are you. you are everywhere, and you're and just it's incredible to. Um, to watch the work that you're doing and look at ways that I can deploy this work as well. I do. So we had a conversation before we started uh, and I want to end on this kind of note. Normally we do top five rappers, um, but these are conversations we always try to have beforehand to see if people even like rap and something came up in terms of your top five music that you have agreed to share with us. Do you still agree to share that with us? Yes. My top five Christmas songs. Yes. All right. So I, I need to get I need to get a pen and write this down. Y'all maybe didn't expect to hear Cyra Rao's top five Christmas songs, but that's why this is two dope <laughs> teachers in a mic, because we know that this is that this shit is too serious to be Look, so serious. I was, right. I, I, was a, I was a white woman for 42 years. So you got you know, love Christmas. <laughs> yes, that's well. right. All right. All right number so. number one, top favorite okay. angels we have heard on high. Okay. Okay. So I, okay. Yep. I'm old school. I don't like any. Yeah. Hark the Herald Angel Sing. Yep. Joy to the World. Silent Night and God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen. I'm hoping to decolonize my stuff with Christmas. I'm still watching Elf. I watch it like once a month. <laughs> it's such a great movie. <laughs> the off season. And, but even that, like if you look at Elf and the North Pole, uh, this is, I'll leave, I'll leave you with this. The North Pole, every <laughs> Elf is white. Every elf is white. That's right. That's right. All white Everybody, elves. All the elves are white. And a couple of years ago when I was running for Congress and I had a fundraiser in New York City and a white woman director producer happened to be there with a friend of a friend and she was shooting a Christmas movie and it was going to be a feminist Christmas movie. I was like, oh my God. So the only difference is it was about Mrs. Claus instead of, right? <laughs> right. And, and I said, how are you casting it? Like how many black and brown people. And she looked at me completely serious, not ironically. And she goes, it's a North pole. And I was like, yeah. And she Bruh. goes, there are no black and brown people in the North pole. <laughs> there are no people. The North I was like, pole. oh my God. <laughs> it's, you know, that it's made up, right? Like you're, the yeah, scene, right. you're, you're talking about like the, the Christmas elf situation. And then, so that's, really that's, there. That's where we are. That's like, where they we may, are. Also. They may not get sunburns, but they will because yeah, that wow, that's beautiful. What people and then you can't have black and brown. <laughs> there are no, no there because there are no people. There yeah. are no people. Um, I have to comment on on the top five. I love me some industrial revolution, alienation, Christmas dirges. Like it's just like that's <laughs> just like. It's like one of my favorite like genres. And I put it on Twitter. I'm like, y'all, where are these like industrial tuberculosis, poor working conditions, child labor Christmas songs? And they're I like, love dude, it. I love it. dude, what is I wrong with it. you? <laughs> Cyra Rao. I'm listening to like Carols of the Bell and talking shit about. <laughs> oh, Carol of the Bells. Yeah, absolutely. It's because because these are. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like maybe we need to just do something on deconstructing. Let's have, let's have a deconstructing Christmas. 
Let's do it. I love it. Sarah Rao, uh, thank you so much for joining us on Two Dope Teachers in the Mic. Um, if you would, uh, will you say stay dope with me as we uh, kind of exit out? So I'll kind of ramble a tiny bit and then I'll give you a sign. So folks, uh, the book is White Women, Everything You Know About Your Own Racism and How to Do Better. You can also check out the movie. I believe it's on Apple and all kinds of platforms. What's the title of the movie? Deconstructing Karen. Deconstructing Karen, watch that. Watch, I'm gonna go watch it. Um, and really, and you can also fi- follow Syra Rao on social media where she's posting beautiful things and powerful things and meaningful things. Uh, the one that I responded to a lot today was, um, yesterday or today, was that upholding white supremacy is not only done by white people, that um, that it, it is, white supremacy is held up by all of us. So stay strong, stay tough, stay outspoken, stay not caring who your friends are unless they're truly your friends. And above all, make sure that you always stay, stay dope. <laughs> awesome, thanks. Okay.